Yeah, buddy, welcome to the Lifestyle Business Podcast. Today we're in Bali, and in the eternal struggle between beer and wine, we come up... Both. Both, yeah, yeah that's true. Welcome to the podcast, Ian, my co-host, my captain, and currently, my roommate. How you doing, sir? Doing pretty well. Sweating it out here in Bali. I smell horrible. How about you? <laughs> Phenomenal. Ian and I decided to eschew the party scene for just one night so that we could hop on the mics and report what we've been up to, share some of our new ideas with you guys and see what you think about them. You know, generally just try to get a little bit of work done. It's been a lot of fun here in Bali, yeah? Yeah, actually, we're partying right now. So if this podcast doesn't come out the best, it's because we've taken a break from partying, do a little podcast, then back to partying. A lot of people have been asking us our impressions of Bali. Uh, In fact, we even had a mention on the blog, some requests to talk about lifestyle design capitals. I think it's safe to say, Ian, that Bali has made quite an impression on us in such a short time. In large part, let's give a listener shout out to Tommy Schultz from TommySchultz.com. Tom, as a new listener to the podcast, sent me an email a couple days ago saying, you know, thanks a lot, guys. If you ever come to Bali, feel free to hit me up. And of course... We hit him up the day afterwards, and uh, Tommy's been a great help. Thanks so much, Tommy. Go check out his photos. They're absolutely gorgeous. The guy's been in Patagonia and National Geographic. He's a real talent, knows everything about Bali, so he's been great. But, Ian, let's talk a little bit about your impressions of Bali as a lifestyle design capital. Well, again, thanks again to Tommy because he's been taking us around, and he's introduced us to his friends, and uh, it's been awesome. We went to a party last night, which was out of control, and it was at his friend's house. And in terms of what you can afford here, it is insane. I mean, we went to this house last night, three-bedroom, indoor-outdoor house, pool. I mean, just gorgeous. It's, One of the it's properly, properly called a villa, I think. Yeah, it's it's a freaking compound. That's what it is. This house costs $1,000 a month for a three-bedroom, and it is one of the most gorgeous houses I've ever seen. In terms of lifestyle design, I feel like you couldn't design a better lifestyle for yourself in Bali. Uh, I love motorbike culture. There's a lot of motorbikes here. You can hop on your motorbike, ride out to dinner, um, meet your friends. It's awesome. So it's a lot like California, but it's kind of got an island or to it. You know, it's worth noting that that $1,000 rent payment was in an area that we think is sort of comparable to La Jolla in San Diego, which is the real high rent district. I mean, this is a very swanky kind of area of town. It is reminiscent of California. Bali has a very distinct identity. Bali is blessed with just great architecture, these great villas, like all open air. The homes are indoor, outdoor, as you said. Lots of temples, lots of small windy streets. But there's also a huge Western influence here. I mean, The surfers have been coming here since the 20s. People say Bali has the best surfing in the world, the most consistent surfing in the world. There's tons of Western creature comforts. And also, and this might be the ringer, Ian, is that Bali has an absolutely excellent expat scene from what we've seen. I mean, you can have a really interesting group of friends here in Bali, which definitely isn't as easy. In in, in Philippines, it's just a no-go. I mean, there's absolutely nothing going on in the Philippines in terms of peer group. Vietnam, Cambodia, again, very challenging. Thailand is a real, a real contender. Based on your experience so far in Thailand versus Bali, how about you give a, a little quick rundown? How do you compare the two? When you say creature comforts, and I really do feel like parts of Bali are like California without the expensive prices. So it's it's a really comforting place to be. There's a lot of expats. I mean, the locals are extremely friendly. It's not hard to find local spots either. I felt like when we were in Thailand, we kind of had to go a little bit off the beaten path. Here, it's kind of mixed in with a lot of the tourist shops. Thailand's been kind of screwed out 
by the backpackers, whereas Bali feels more integrated with the tourists here. And I think that's one reason why Bali could be a very, very good candidate for living and lifestyle design. Very fascinating. Yeah. It's one of the first places I ever kind of touched down in the tourist area and like wasn't annoyed by it. And in fact, I thought it was really nice. You know, it's similar to I think the tourist areas in San Diego are very nice, very integrated, like you said. I think it's I think it's safe to say we're both pretty charmed by Bali and we definitely have been hatching out some crazy plans to rent a couple villas and get a bunch of staff and sort of have a lifestyle design headquarters here and start doing the podcast three times a week. Do you think we can make that happen? It might happen. I'm pretty impressed by Bali. I think I could trade in my wheels. What we're trying to do here is is potentially pivot a little bit more to information-based business. Hard goods business is difficult to keep pace with the kind of ambition that we have, especially the kinds of lifestyles that we desire. So we're moving more towards information. So I would not be surprised if we took up residence on this very island within the coming months, but more on that soon. One quick thing, if you stick around to the end end of the episode, Ian's going to tell you about the phenomenal pair of underwear he's wearing and why you should be wearing them too. And I'm going to tell you about some shady Twitter crap that no one's really talking about openly. Right now, in the this episode, we're going to talk about our first major information product and how we're pulling that together. And I believe you can create an information product in 48 hours. That's what we've done. And we're going to share with you our technique and try to get your feedback about what we're doing. But first, let's touch base with some quick listener shouts. I think last week was probably the hottest week for email we've ever had. I don't know what's going on. We've got a bunch of new subscribers. We've got a bunch of people talking to us. Thank you for everyone who's written us. In all seriousness, super touching emails. And it makes Ian and I wonder why we do anything but podcasts because we really get a lot of love from you guys. Thank you so much. Further, this is probably the first week that we haven't really done a good job of responding to emails. And sorry about that. We're traveling and we don't have a good protocol in place for actually following up with everybody. Really got to figure that one out. We will get back to everybody. Thank you for emailing us. By the way, our customers are pissed too because we're not responding to them either. So (laughs) I think there's a lot of people piss at us right now, Ian. What's up with that? The beach is pretty nice in Bali, and they don't have Wi-Fi at the beach here yet. Thank you to Jordan Luke Collier. Did you say Collier? Is that a French? That sounds cool. I think he described me exactly when he talks about his uh, his textbook of, of entrepreneurs living on the brink. Thanks to Travel Personality for commenting. Thanks to Craig Ernst for your really nice comment, and also your suggestion to go check out Fooled by Randomness. The Black Swan, Ian, has had a big impact on the way that we're thinking, and the way that we're trying to diversify our portfolio of businesses. And thanks to Isaac for getting back to us. We're happy to answer your question, Isaac. And thank you for the really kind words. Wow. Two, you're making my ego pop out of my brains. I definitely don't need that, Isaac, but thank you so much. And thanks to Nate from The Way You Wander. He loves the eCover Maker. We got a lot of good feedback for that little quick tip. My eCover Maker. I actually sent an email out to everybody, every information marketer that I know, give them that quick tip as well. That is something that I just thought it was such a great tool for anybody who's doing an information product. That's myecovermaker.com. And hey, that's another thing you do. If you find a quick tip that you enjoy and you know people that could benefit from that, why don't you spend five minutes and kick out an email to people, take the time to explain to them briefly in a couple sentences how they can benefit from it. People really appreciate that kind of stuff. Let's just hop into the meat and potatoes here. How to create a $100 
e-product in 48 hours. That's right. That's what we've been up to the past couple of days. Dan and I got on the horn before we went to Bali and we started talking just about life, life in general. And something came up, which is something that came up actually last episode. And I made a profit, a pretty nice profit on a car that I bought not too long ago. And that's something that I actually do as a hobby slash side job. And that's flipping cars for cash. We're not talking about flipping hoopties. We're talking about flipping very nice cars that I have an information advantage on. And so we started talking. We thought, hey, I think we can turn this into an information product. So what we're going to do is actually a lot of people have been asking us, you know, I really wish we could see more of the sites that you guys are doing and more of the businesses. Well, this is the first time that we're actually going to take you into the inside and just show you our actual process. If you guys have feedback on this, let us know because this is our first major information product and this is how we're approaching it. And if any of you come out with the same product within six months, I will personally break your kneecap. Let's get on to it. It's, it's a five-step process, what we're doing. The first step is to mine your past experience. And basically what you're looking for is some kind of experience you have that does one of three things. It either makes people money, it solves a burning desire, or it contributes to a major passion that people have. All these things generally solve problems. I mean, under the general umbrella of solving a problem, the key thing here is, especially with the first point, is you want to identify a body of knowledge that you have that could potentially be positioned as cost neutral. I think that's really a killer thing. I mean, when we talk about this car flipping product, Ian, the great thing about it is I'm pretty confident that at even pretty high price points, if people buy it and follow the instructions, it's going to become either zero cost or they're going to make more money after having bought it. And that's really critical with information products, yeah? Yeah, this is gonna be a cost neutral product for a lot of people because most of the cars that people are buying and selling, they're gonna make hundreds if not thousands of dollars on each transaction. So a $100 e-product isn't a big deal. When we talk about mining yourself or mining your business partner for ideas or past experience, one of the things that I've been doing is I've been in this business for the last 10 years. Basically, I've made it a hobby and a job to drive around in cars for free. It's really something that we haven't looked at before as a business. It's just something that I kind of did was I was very interested in cars. Dan and I have always been interested in cars. Having some mechanical abilities, I am able to buy cars and drive them basically for free for a few years, sell them. I don't think I've actually paid for maintenance or a car for the last five or 10 years. There was a huge opportunity there after we started talking about it. We thought, hey, other people can do this too because I've taught other people how to do this. Lessons really well taken, Ian, which is that most people undervalue the knowledge that they do have. And one of the classic objections and the sticking points people are going to have is they're going to say, well, I don't really know anything that makes people money or that could be positioned as cost neutral. The response to that is, well, Ian didn't really know it either until he looked a little bit closer at what he was doing and said, wait a second, this could be really a huge value. Now, Ian isn't full time out there making like $100,000 a year flipping cars, but there's absolutely no question that he could be doing that based on his track record and the information that he has. So why not offer that up to somebody that might want to take that on as a primary career or even a side job just like Ian, or maybe they just want some help driving cars for free. Taking stock of what, what you know and not undervaluing it. The second piece of advice is 
look at your job and your career because you are making people money or you're saving people money. That's why people pay you. So think about the specific tools that you've learned in your jobs and your career that you could perhaps position as a product to teach other people the skills that you have. Yeah. All the businesses that we're involved in right now, we had prior experience in, and I'm not going to mention them because we make a habit of not mentioning them actually up <laughs> until this product. Everything that we're doing business with right now Dan and I have prior experience with. So if you can't come up with something that's cost neutral, the next step is to sort of mine your hobbies. Now, the classic example that's always given is golf. People go crazy for golf. They're willing to spend anything on golf. Uh, that's something that people are truly passionate about. It's a little bit dicier when you get into things that can't be positioned as cost neutral. You've just got to look hard enough, do a brain dump, do a brainstorm, especially focus on your career. Again, you are making people money. Dig that stuff out. Now, for the second point in the meat potatoes, I'm going to take a quick sip of the fantastic local beer at Bintang because this is my secret sauce point. And so I'm going to have a little bit of sauce before I deliver it. Here we go. That's phenomenal. Okay, here's the thing. I think that this is something that everyone should do. And here's the first thing that Ian and I did when we woke up in Bali the morning that we said we were going to work on this. We sat down and we wrote a 3,000 to 6,000 word Long form sales letter. These are the things that everybody complains about. These long websites that explain everything and are hypey and have big red text. Well, old Ian and I, we sat down and we wrote us one of those. And I'll tell you why. When you come across a sales letter and you don't want, you don't have that problem and you don't want that product and you don't have a burning desire to figure out AdSense secrets, for example, you get pissed because that's a hypey marketer. And you don't want to hear it. But when you come across that long form sales letter and you do have that problem, do you want to read 400 words about it? What is 400 words going to do for you? When you have a burning desire to solve a problem, you want this explained thoroughly. Plus, think about it. This is a cold sale. You're asking for $50, $100, $250 from someone after saying 400 words? Are you kidding me? Like, no, you have to explain this thing in detail. Now, that's the first step. That's the first reason. The second reason, even if you decide eventually you can do a soft sell through your blog, your subscribers, maybe you don't need a 6,000-word letter because they already know. Although, I think that that is incorrect. You should have the 6,000-word letter regardless. But the second reason is that it forces you to fully conceptualize the benefits of your product, the key features of your product before you even create it. Within three hours of sitting down writing the sales letter, we had a product on our hand. It existed conceptually before we even got to the issue of working for it. So we knew that we needed to create a product that had these certain benefits, that had these certain selling points, and that had these certain bonuses attached to them. We went out and copied sales letters that we appreciate on the internet. We copied them. In fact, I use one from Yonic Silver, and we'll link to Yonic Silver's website. If you buy his book, Moonlighting on the Internet, which I don't exactly re recommend anymore. It's a little outdated, but he gives you free sales letters. So I just use one of these. And I literally, Ian, I mean, part of the reason we got it done in two hours is that most of the text was just generic text from other sales letters. And we started to put in our particular benefits that we wanted to sell. And this is a great exercise because you start to conceptualize your product in the in the form of a business already. Yeah, you can read your own sales letter and see if you're excited about your own product. We're not signing ourselves. A lot of people write me and say, well, I'm thinking about starting a blog and I'm going to start putting out blogs until I'm blue in the face. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an actual product that has a buying proposition. You want to conceptualize the moment of people buying this thing, not 
signing yourself up for 12 weeks worth of full-time work on some blog. Like that's not what this is about. This is about a product that you can sell and make money. So I think it does make sense to make the sales letter first. It's how we started to come up with our outline. Keep in mind also, we haven't come up with a name for a product. We haven't come up with a logo for the product. We haven't come up with any of that stuff. All that is last on the list. Let's move on to point number three. Decide the price point and format. You want to think about this within the 48 hour. Ian and I wanted to finish this within two days. So we decided, what do you want to sell this for? And what's the format going to be? And a lot of this stuff is arbitrary. So what you want to do is like lock yourself into something that's very concrete. We definitely recommend trying to do something that's over $47. There's ex plenty of examples on the internet of people who are transparent about their finances, selling shit tons of copies of stuff and making no money. Don't create a product that's not over $47. Like actually do something that's going to make people a lot of money so you can charge for it. So Ian and I decided relatively arbitrarily that we were going to do at least five hours of audio. Audio is a fast way to produce content. We're going to do three bonus worksheets, and we're going to charge $100 for it. There's also going to be a lot of other products that come out of this initial product, but initially we decided that we want to make at least $100 on each one of these products. Yeah, and oh, here's the thing. That roadmap is infinite, right? And what the first product that you come out of the gate sort of it, it operates as a sales funnel. So you're qualifying leads to bring you into a higher product, whether that be a super high-end membership site or like a market intelligence report. There's, there's really thousands of things you could do, but you don't want to get caught up in all that. What you want to do is focus your first product on qualifying leads for that higher-end stuff. I mean, bottom line, Ian, if you don't want to pay $100 to get these five hours of investment strategies plus the worksheets plus all this knowledge dump that we're giving people, that you're not a great, you're not a customer for our business. And we want that kind of qualification. We're not looking for blog subscribers here. We're looking for paying customers. I think that's pretty critical. That's why you write the sales letter. That's why you charge up front. That's why we're not talking about blogging till we're blue in the face. We will podcast till we're blue in the face. So, because that's fun. <laughs> if it's not fun, if it doesn't make you money, don't do it, Sir Richard Branson. All right, let's move on to number four, which is set timelines, regardless of their arbitrary. And set them super tight. Yeah. And that's why we chose 48 hours. And we've been literally cramming, man. I mean, what time is it? It's, it's, it's 12 a.m. It's, it's midnight here in Bali. We've absolutely been cramming all day long on this stuff. There's so much courage involved in this. I got to say, because you're defining something new in the world. There, the standards are always going to – you're always going to be so hard on yourself when you're doing this stuff. I mean, you record something you're like, oh, I sound like an idiot or it's not good <laughs> enough. But we've got this thing. We've got to get five hours of good audio in 48 hours and three worksheets and a sales letter. And if we can't do that, we could basically – this could take us six months, right? Yeah. We could research it until we're blue in the face. Yeah. So we have really set a lot of timelines and we've been really hard on ourselves. And it's been interesting because we're in Bali and there's a lot of things to do. Got it on the beach, things like that. And the only way that places like Bali are sustainable and San Diego are sustainable is if you come out with products like this all the time like we are. And that's part of setting timelines is not shipping is the biggest problem. If there ever was a problem, it's not shipping. And so we've got to make sure that at the end of this trip, we can ship. And so part of that is sticking to these stringent timelines. that we Right. And that segues right into our final point, which is let the market decide and iterate. Our job, it's kind of like a lawyer. You're like a lawyer, Ian. You know how a lawyer's oh, responsibility... <laughs> You know how the lawyer's responsibility is to argue their best case regardless? It's the same way if you're a marketer. You create the product and you do your damnedest to sell that thing, right? Because you know this has made you money. 
And so you shared your perspective. You shared the information. You said, look, this, this, has made me, this has made me tens of thousands of dollars, and I'm giving it to you for $100. I'm going to do my damnness to sell you on it, right? right? That's my responsibility. Now, once you get that product, if you've got feedback, it's not up to us to sit here in this room and to get neurotic and figure out all the ways in which this product right. isn't right. That's self-centered. Our role is to create the product. You try to give it to people who can benefit from it and let them tell us what they want. Let them give us the feedback. And by the way, it's got the 30-day money-back guarantee. So they can always rescind on their purchase if they, if they don't want to keep the product. Right. Like you guys with the podcast, every week we get emails, we get tweets about, hey, change this, do that. You know, if we try to change everything everything before we started to ship the podcast, the podcast would never be done. So what do we do? We publish, we ship, we get it done. And then you guys tell us what you like and what you don't like. And it's the same thing with the product. The most perfect product in the world, the iPhone, iMac, the Dell computer, whatever it is, these products aren't perfect. They hit the shelves, they hit your wallet and they need iteration. Well, except the MacBook Pro is perfect. Yeah. Good. Ian, it's worth dwelling on a little bit. You just absolutely have to ship. And that's what I like about our strategy with this one. And it's a lot of fun, which is we just set a deadline. Like we cannot go back and be, and, and like double cross ourselves and, and redo everything. And some things we know we could go out and do six hours of research and make it a little bit better. We talked about in some parts of our guide, we could add extra pictures and make it a little bit better. The problem with information products is it's infinite. You could yeah. go on forever. So you absolutely just got to set that deadline and say, this is it. I'm going to ship. I'm going to iterate. Bottom line, we need to learn from our market. We need to learn from our customers about what's going to be valuable to them. Thank you for listening to our meat and potatoes. And keep in mind, this is Ian and I's first real information product. In a lot of ways, selling our hard goods is similar to selling information products because we've sold these hard goods before producing them. But this is our first classic kind of like internet markety thing going on. So if you've got feedback for us, let us know what's going on. We're going to try to bring you into the inside of this thing next week or within the next couple of weeks. We're going to share with you what our SEO, our URL, and our marketing strategy is. Hopefully you guys can all jump onto the sites and let us know what you think. And hopefully we can improve them based on your feedback. But now we're going to get to the dessert, baby. So let's get started with the quick tips, tricks and or funny joke section. So Ian, let us know about your underwear, baby. What's going on down well, there? Well, I'm wearing a nice fancy pair of underwear right now. Before I left on the trip, I picked up some underwear from REI, and this is special traveler underwear. And the reason it's so good is because it doesn't hold in water. It doesn't smell. You can pretty much wash them in the sink. Instead of bringing along with you, you know, 14 pairs of underwear for 14 days, you can just bring around three or four. You won't smell that bad, and you'll probably still get a date or two while you're out. So the name of this underwear is Ex Officio Underwear. And it's fairly expensive, about $20, $25 a pair, but they are awesome. I mean, nice when you're traveling to be able to wear clean clothes. And right now I'm wearing a Nike dry fit. I'm wearing ex officio underwear and I'm wearing some Columbia pants. All these clothes can be thrown into the sink with a little soap, washed in about five minutes, throw it on, on the rack and reworn the next day without smell. Yeah. And this is the biggest thing. I mean, let me just talk real quick about the way that we pack to travel. Me and you, we're going to hop on motorcycles tomorrow, and we're going to take a two-hour journey into the center of Bali to check out the rice terraces and the volcanoes and do all this stuff. It's all made possible by the fact that we're packing super light. 
and you see all these people that bring all these contingency plans. The number one problem people have is they, they, they pack contingencies. People get them all hyped up. Basically, there's a consumer response to traveling. Oh, you need to get, a, you need to get this. You need to buy that. You need to bring these antibiotics. They don't have that over there. Trust me. I've been to some pretty backwoods places. They pretty much have everything everywhere now. So, I mean, if you're going to you're going to like middle of Africa, fine. But like pretty much everywhere has everything with some minor exceptions. Maybe camembert cheese. So bring your cheese with you. But all you people who are bringing all these clothes and stuff, it's ridiculous. Ian and I are traveling with day packs. Day packs. That's because you can literally, if you have ex officio underwear, which Ian was so kind to bring me a pair as well, you can literally travel with two pairs of underwear three or four shirts, two pairs of shorts, and you're set. If it gets freaking cold one day, there are a million shops that'll sell you a sweater for $5. Don't bother bringing one. Don't bring rain gear. Don't bring a mosquito net. Don't bring antibiotics. All that stuff is here readily available. I mean, the people wherever you're going have been there for a while. So if there's if there's something that needs to be covered there, they've got it covered. And the shame, Ian, is, is that it takes forever to pack a big backpacking backpack. I would never bring one of those things. You can't ride motorcycles. You have to check in your luggage at the airport. There's just so many downsides. There's so much extra stress. you got to get a taxi to get anywhere. Ian and I, we just buzz around. The first night I got here in Bali, I did my classic, Ian. I got dropped off at the airport. I walked straight out from the airport with my stuff on my back, and I just walked right into Bali, and I just started talking to hotel owners. It wasn't three hours later I finally checked into a hotel. That's a huge advantage of the way we're packaging. It makes travel so much more fun, and it really is cool to have all your life's possessions in one small, neat, organized space. And the key is hacking your clothing, getting this dry-fit clothing, having the high-class stuff. It's baller. All right, one quick thing that Ian and I noticed as we were working on our information product is that Google Docs has finally, finally integrated real-time collaboration. I'm not sure if that's from the Google Wave product or they bought Ethernet, Etherpad as well. Either way, it's great. Thank you, Google, for finally... Everybody thank Google. Thank you, Google, for making the world a better place plus offering real-time collaboration. One quick thing before we get off the episode. I want to share with you an experience with a program that I use... Uh, to hack Twitter. A lot of people know about these auto-follow clients that people use on Twitter, and maybe you haven't invested in one yet. I spent 100 bucks on a product called Tweet Adder about one year ago, or maybe eight months ago. I can't even remember. Eight months ago. And also, there's a popular one called Hummingbird. Basically, you know, people wonder how this works, and I just want to share a little bit of my thoughts about it. People might wonder, you know, I've got 8,000 followers on Twitter, something like that. Most of them are from Twitter marketing, proactive Twitter marketing, which is me auto-following people, creating an excellent landing page, which is like a, a page that says, hey, I'm Dan, I'm like this lifestyle design guy, I'm doing all this stuff, if you're interested, you know, follow me kind of thing. And what you do is you basically, these programs, they'll go out and they'll auto-follow 200 people in one smack, and you can choose to follow people based on keywords, based on... Oh, uh, if there's someone cool out there like, you know, Jason L. Baptiste, I really like that guy. Maybe his followers will want to follow me. So I'll go, hey, go auto-follow everybody that's following Jason L. Baptiste. These kinds of programs are costing about 60 to $100 nowadays if you go out there and get them. I think a lot of people have a negative attitude about this kind of thing because it's kind of spammy. It's a, it's a tad spammy to go 
follow people. I just want to share the bottom line with this stuff because there's a lot of people out there in the niche that have like tons of followers and people are like, how'd they do that? They must have some kind of program. Why'd they do that? Is that cool? And no one really talks about it openly. Here's the bottom line. And I've talked to some really high-end marketers. And if you look at the follow ratio, you can generally tell if someone has like 15,000 followers and they're following 13,000 people, they have a Twitter client that's auto-following people and auto-unfollowing people. I don't do this anymore because I'm lazy and I switched over to a Mac and I don't have an assistant anymore. So all these things conspire to make me just like kind of give up on the software. But I don't, I still think that it's hugely valuable. And all like the top internet marketers that I'm friends with, they use this stuff religiously. Even people like at Jason from This Week in Startups uses this stuff religiously, you can tell. So it's, I think that this is a huge way because Twitter drives so much traffic. If you know, like it's incredible. Like it's absolutely uh, profound the amount of traffic that you can drive via Twitter. And it's also profound the amount of followers you can dredge up if you're using these auto-follow programs. If you're serious about your marketing and you want to drive traffic to your site, I think this is a great way to go, Ian. Marketers that are like top class and they swear by this stuff because you go out, you follow people and you basically say, hey, take a look at my profile. And if they say yes, boom, you've got someone who's highly likely to be driven to your site when you make a tweet. And if they say no and they ignore that, the next day you go back and unfollow them. That's how that works. And you can also, of course, schedule tweets and like test your analytics via bit.ly to see the different click-through rates at different times, different time zones, all this stuff. I know this is a lot of blah, 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 but I just haven't heard anybody talk about this. Like, it's kind of like a whisper campaign behind this stuff. I've used it, and it, it's huge, you know? There's no way that I would have 8,000 followers on Twitter if I didn't use this software, and it's driven shit tons of traffic. What do you think about you, this stuff, You think Ian? my buddy uh, Louis C.K. uses a tweet client? He's got 150,000 followers, and he follows zero people. What do you think he's up to? Well, Louis C.K. uses this really innovative strategy, which is actually provide excellent, valuable content and wow. be talented. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that I'm not really capable of, so I went out and got a spam software. Uh, now I think I understand <laughs> how this works. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us in Bali. We had a great time joining you tonight. I need to get another beer. It's way too hot in this room. Yeah, let's go uh, jump in the pool. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, I hope to hear you in the comments. And let us know what you think about our new information product. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list. LifestyleBusinessPodcast.com. Go there. Get yourself signed up. And we'll keep you up to date. Everything.